0: We're going to dismiss our children up through the fifth grade if you'd like to, to go to children's worship. If you don't have a Bible, this would be a good time as they're moving around. We have shelves back here for you to grab a Bible if you want to follow along. You just didn't bring yours today, or you'd like to have one. Consider this a gift from us to you so we can all be looking at God's Word together since that's the only authority. And as they're making their way um, that way, too, we kind of had a special event in the life of our church yesterday. Um, Jared Manning, our associate pastor. you probably wonder where Jared is. I mean, what's wrong with this guy? Where did he, he not up here this morning. Well, uh, he and Sarah are on their honeymoon. So, uh, Jared and Sarah were mar- married yesterday. It was just a God-honoring uh, wedding. Uh, I was even talking to John L's mom this morning, and she watched it live stream. Uh, if you know Jared, you're not surprised. <laughs> he is Mr. Media. I mean, he knows how to get all that stuff done, so that was kind of neat that people could even watch it um, on their computer at home, and it was just a great time, and Uh, We want to pray for them that they'll have a great honeymoon and uh, come back to us safely. We do have some families still here. I see some of the Rieger family still here. And, of course, the Manning family is always here. And uh, we're glad to have you all again with us this morning. And um, Also, uh, a lot of people think, how did we ever get Jared here? All right? And most people just know him over the last two years. But we had him here as a um, summer intern. What summer was that? You remember, Clint, what summer that was? Was it seven? Yeah, 2007. That summer. Okay. Well, Clint and Tammy Good, who used to serve as our student pastor, it was his idea to hire Jared as our intern. So the very fact that he's come back full time, we can thank Clint for. It. All right. Um, Clint uh, knew Jared really knew Jared better than I. He spent a lot more time than Jared when Jared started coming to our church as a college student, going to college of biblical studies, and and got to know him, and said, man we got to hire Jared as a summer intern I said that's a great idea let's do it and then of course we've all come to know he went off to of school and then we, he's come back we've all come to grow and love Jared but we also love Clinton, and Tammy and they were here to celebrate with uh, uh, Jared and Sarah yesterday and their wedding and spent the weekend with us and uh, they left with two children now they have four don't drink the water at the McKenzie house, okay? And uh, uh, they've been steering clear of it this week, no water for the, for the good family, but we're always glad to see the goods and uh, thankful they're serving up in the Denton area and uh, for to, to be, they're on the mission of God too, just in a different place now. Uh, so we're thankful for them being here and we're thankful for you being here as well. Uh, but the title of our message this morning is The Natural Church. The natural church, And I want to read this passage of scripture. It's a pretty familiar passage of scripture if you've ever read the book of Acts. And we're just continuing on where we left off last week. But beginning in verse 42, and I'm going to read down through verse 47. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the creation of the church uh, Lord, we thank you for what happened here in Acts 2, but Lord, we thank you that didn't stop there. But, Lord, not only was, uh, were you adding to the number day by day, those who were being saved then, but you've been adding to that number day by day since that day until the day that your son returns. And Lord, we're so thankful to be a part of that. And Lord, so we come now and we ask you to do what only you can do as we do each Sunday. We come to your word and we, we ask that you would uh, open our hearts and minds and teach us and change us through the power of your word, to make us more like Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, in 1984, a movie was released called The Natural. Anybody remember seeing the movie The Natural? Okay, yes, that dates the, all of us. Thank you. Uh, some of you didn't raise your hand. may not even born, but uh, or weren't interested in seeing the movie. But the movie starred Robert Redford. And he was playing a character called Troy Hobbs. And he was an individual who possessed... Super, I mean, I'm just, just super giftedness or really natural ability at baseball. That's why they called it the natural. And even through difficulty on and off the field in his life, Hobbes still managed to have great success on the baseball field. Why? Why did he continue to have success on the baseball field? Well, because it was the way that God created him and gifted him. Uh, the, the most natural thing for him to do was to excel on the baseball field. It was just natural; just came natural to him. You've seen people like that in all walks of life. Things just come natural to them. I mean, some people. I, I've coached some football. I've watched a lot of football. Some people they put at receiver and they throw the ball to them, and it's just not natural. I mean, they're fighting the thing and oh, get the thing, and, and so move them to um, tackle or something other where they have to catch the ball and and. and, and uh, um, but Joshua had the privilege, Robert, to have someone last, last year who had a natural ability. Joshua's favorite receiver is here with us this morning. Um, had, I don't know, 50-something catches last year. Broke all the records. But it was easy for Robert. But some guys catching a football, it's not easy. It's not natural. And sometimes no matter how hard they work, it'll never become natural. A, a caterpillar becomes a butterfly because of what's inside the caterpillar. It's what's inside. It's the nature of the caterpillar. The most natural thing for a caterpillar to do is to become a butterfly. If you're not a caterpillar, you're not going to become a butterfly no matter how hard you work because there's something inside the caterpillar. Some people naturally have rhythm and grace on the dance floor. And if you were at the reception last night, you would know that your pastor is not one of those people who has natural rhythm and grace on the dance floor. I stepped on feet, running into people, and people were dodging me and those kind of things on the dance floor. That is not something that comes natural for me, and I work at it really hard, as you can tell. Uh, But some people, like Jared and Sarah, uh, it comes natural. Um, But not me. This morning, we're going to look at the most natural things that are true of the church. They're natural because it's the way that God has designed His people to be And to do. Now, I know the natural church doesn't sound like a very exciting church. We're the natural church. Some of you are thinking about granola and, you know, dressing in brown and that kind of thing. And that's what I'm talking about, all right? Uh, And and it's not really an exciting sermon title either. But it's really what this passage is about, the natural church. Most people, especially in our day and age, would rather be talking about the extravagant church, the radical church, the exciting church, the, the special church, the extraordinary church and on and on and on. People want to be a part of the church that has bumper stickers that read something like this. It's worth the drive for a church that's alive. Alright? That's the kind of church we want to be a part of, right? And that's what's promoted. We're going to get all that kind of stuff. Yet the best way to describe the church here in Acts 2 is the natural church. The fact is that this is the birth of the church. It's the first church. And the things that are true of this church in Acts 2 are natural why? Because it's what God designed these people to be and to do. Now, let me be clear, though. There's nothing boring, boring about the natural church. In fact, when the natural church is acting out its nature, supernatural things begin to happen. That's what happens with the natural church. It becomes supernatural in its effects. Let me ask you to join with me here and and look at this passage. And we're going to discover four characteristics of the natural church so that we will live out what we were created to be as a church and experience the supernatural results that God desires. Look with me again at verse 42. And look at that first phrase there in verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves. Notice that word they. And you're already thinking this is going to be a long sermon. If we're going word by word. Well, we will go word by word, but we're going to put a lot of them together too, alright? But they, and the question we've got to ask is what? Who is they? We've got to understand our context. Now, we've been preaching to, if you haven't been here, I'll catch you up a little bit. Alright, where we've been, but we've got to ask the question, who, is, who, who, who am these referring to? It's referring to those people who responded in faith and repentance to the message that Peter just preached. What message did he preach? He answered two questions. Who is the Lord, and how I call upon Him? Because that was what he had quoted from the Old Testament. So he answers, Who's the Lord? It was Jesus, and he proved that it was Jesus. And then they realized that they had killed Jesus, and their response in verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. We're in trouble. We killed the Messiah we have been waiting on. What are we going to do? What shall we do, they ask. And then he answers the question, How do you call on the name of the Lord? Repent. And be baptized. Now we talk about the word repent and belief, and they're kind of the, the, they go together. You can't have one without the other. You turn from trusting in one thing and you trust in another. That's what repent and believe, and you see them interchangeably used throughout the New Testament. but, but they repented, and then they were baptized to indicate that they had repented and placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And and so they responded, and and these who responded were part of a larger group that came to Jerusalem to celebrate the Day of Pentecost, which happened fifty days after the Passover. Now this was the first Pentecost after Jesus had risen again, and it was a Pentecost that would change all Pentecosts. It was a fulfillment of all that they were hoping for, and all they were celebrating had now come. And this is where this is what this, these people that responded. It says three thousand of them in verse 41 responded and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ they had received the gift of the Holy Spirit the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit for the very first time in history that happened of course in the upper room first with the apostles and the 120 that were with them and them next and this next 3,000 um, for the very first time he indwelt permanently they, they were born again you ever heard the word born again Christian? Anybody ever said said born again Christian? You're stuttering. Did you know that? Born again and Christian are synonymous. You can't be a Christian without being born again. Don't say born again Christian. We got we got a stuttering problem. Come on. So I'm saying Christian, Christian. You have to be born again to be a Christian, right? Right. So they were born again. They were regenerated. They were children of God for the very first time. Do you all remember back and I can remember the date because I knew I were I was in Washington DC. In in the spring of 1985, uh, on close up, some my students went, some of my fellow students in high school went up there and to study the government. I just went up there because it'd be cool to go to Washington D.C. and I got a scholarship to go. I still don't remember any about thing about the government, um, but it was a fun time. And we were there, and there was a famous video that came out about this time, and it was to, to help raise money for Ethiopia. Y'all remember that? Some of you were alive at that time. They have all these stars and they're singing, and it said, "We are all God's children." Is that true? In a natural sense in some ways, but in the Bible it says, John actually says that we are now children of God. Why? Because the Spirit of God indwells us. Now we are adopted into this family. Before we were children of Adam. And now we're children of God. Because the Spirit lives in us. We're born again. And Jesus says, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what he told Nicodemus. And that is true for all of us. It was true for these people, but now they are born again. And this is the first characteristic of the natural church. The natural church is made up of people who are born again. Now this seems like something that's obvious, right? That the church would be made up of people who are born again. Uh, Yet in our day, often that's not true. To say that the church is made up of people who are born again. Those who have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. What's called church in many places um, doesn't have people who are born again. Or it's mixed with those who are and who aren't. Yet, that's the very net definition of the church. A group of people who are born again. A group of followers of Christ. A group of Christians. Being born again or regenerate is the foundational characteristic of the church. So if we don't get this one right, none of the rest of them happen. You can't force the rest of them to happen if you don't get this one right. They're born again. It's a regenerate church. It's what gives the church its nature, and it's the source for which all the other characteristics flow. That is why here at Grace, the very first step in the membership process we have is we want to tell people to have explain to us How they were born again. How they came to place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that we, as much as we can, we're humans, right? We're not God. We can't see their heart. But as much as we can, we can see that they truly are born again. That they have trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's what it takes to become a member of His church, first of all, and then become a member of a local church. That's why we do that. Look with me again here at verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves uh, the word devoting look at the word devoting it means to be committed to be focused on a task and this is a second characteristics of the natural church not only is the natural church made up of people who are born again the natural church is made up of people who are devoted now, they're devoted because they have God the Holy Spirit living in them they are born again that's why they are devoted remember everything flows out of that they're born again so they're devoted because they're born again they were devoting look at that word uh, and, and some of your translations will say they were continually devoting. I wonder why it says continually devoting. Because the word devoting is in the present tense in the Greek. And it's an emphasis that this was not they devoted themselves one time, but this explained their life. It, 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 it talks about them not constantly and continually and consistently devoting themselves to the things of God, to the things that we're going to look at. It wasn't just a one-time thing. Now, sometimes, if we're all honest, right? This is Sunday morning, and there's a lot of things going on today that we could be doing, right? And if we come on Sunday, and maybe we're part of a a life group or small group ministry here at Grace, and you're involved in that, and you're involved in another ministry, and you're serving with uh, helping true-to-life ministry, helping uh, the port ministry, and we're involved in all these ministries, and we're like, man, I mean, that's that's an awful lot. You know, I want to overdo it, right? But this says they were continually devoting themselves. It actually talks day by day in this passage. This was their life. This is what their life was explained by. They were devoting, continually devoting themselves, day by day, to the things that God had called them to as a church. What were the natural things then? The things that come out of the nature of the church is born again, that the church was continuing to devote themselves to. Look at verse 42 again. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. There's four activities mentioned here to which the church was continually devoting themselves and to which we are to continue to devote ourselves as the church. The first activity to which the natural uh, uh, church is devoted to is the apostles' teaching. Look there with me. Uh, Just the apostles' teaching. It wasn't just any kind of teaching. It was the apostles' teaching. Why is that significant? That was the apostles' teaching. Uh, well, it's the go- in, in the Gospel of John in the Upper Room discourse, which we taught through the Gospel of John, and in verses thirteen through seventeen is known as the Upper Room discourse. But we also figured we saw that they actually leave the upper room before 17's out, and they're kind of walking uh, along. He's still teaching, but it's all called the Upper Room discourse. In that, Jesus um, says this to the guys that were gathered in the room john fourteen twenty six but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Jesus was specifically speaking to the eleven disciples who would become known as the apostles, along with as we saw earlier in Acts, matthias, and then we'll see James and Paul also included in this group. Of apostles, But originally he was speaking to these 11 who would become part of the apostles. He tells them the Holy Spirit would do what? He would teach them all things. Now I'm not saying this passage, and we worked through it already, is not, doesn't have any application for us today. It definitely does. But the first application is to the apostles. And he promised that he would teach the apostles all things. And the, the, the thing that was so significant about the apostles' teaching was that it was commissioned by Jesus and it was given to them by the Holy Spirit. Uh, when they came, he came, just like he said he would, and we saw this earlier in Acts 2, when he came in their life, it enabled them to do what this said. He would teach them all things through the power of the Holy Spirit. The apostles' teaching was the authoritative word from Jesus and therefore the authoritative word of God and these believers were devoted to that the apostles teaching was the only source of truth for the believers in acts 2 and therefore they were devoted to it the apostles teaching is also the only source of authority for believers today and we have that recorded in the bible they're saying that the apostles teachings the new testament yes it is but they also taught the old testament as jesus did and he gave them great insight into the Old Testament that we might understand it in the right way with the cross in mind, which is mentioned in Genesis 3.15. Um, so, uh, they were devoted to this, devoted to the Word of God, devoted to teaching it, to living it. Old and New Testament. Now, Maybe many of you all have heard of a guy named William Tyndale. Anybody heard of a guy named William Tyndale? No, Tyndale. Um, for many reasons, he not just in the church, but in our world, is pretty famous. But he was devoted to the apostles teaching so much so that he was burned at the stake in 1536 under an order by the king of england and the roman catholic church what could he have done that was so terrible that we'd be burned at the stake in with the order of the king of england and the roman catholic church all he do, did was translate the bible into english so people like you and i and people who spoke english could read it that's why he was burned at the stake why because he was devoted to to the apostles' teaching. And often today, we forget those kind of things. We forget that people died, that we might have a copy of the Word of God in front of us. William Tyndale predates the King James Version, which is a very good English translation, but 90% of the King James is taken from William Tyndale's work. Thank God for William Tyndale, right? Being devoted to the apostles' teaching. He died for it. Each person here needs to ask themselves a couple questions this morning concerning this. Am I devoted to the apostles' teaching? Am I devoted, committed, focused on the apostles' teaching? And what can I do by the grace of God to be devoted like the believers in Acts 2 and to be devoted like men like William Tyndale? I can promise you this, we can never be too devoted to the apostles' teaching, can we? You ever met anybody too devoted to the Apostles' teaching? I've never met one. You can't be. It'll change your life. One of the reasons that we are encouraging Abide this year, that we read together, is that we'll be devoted to the Apostles' teaching, right? And we can discuss it together. Also on our website, if you don't know this, we have a blog. Every day, someone is writing about that and posting on a blog. So you can just see somebody else's thoughts about the passage. And we can discuss it when we meet over lunch. And anybody who's had lunch with me this year, or been with me most of the time. I ask, "Hey, how's the abide reading coming? What'd you read today? What'd you read yesterday? Maybe it's early in the morning. Didn't get a chance to read it yet? So, if you want to be asked about that, just go to lunch or breakfast with me. All right. If you don't want to be asked about that, you can refuse and don't a- answer my phone call. Right? But encourage us. That's why. So we'll be devoted. We can know it. We can live it. It's part of being devoted to the apostles' teaching. Not everything. Well, not only is the natural church continue devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, but they also continue devoting themselves, to what it says next, to fellowship. Again, in verse 42, they were devoting themselves to fellowship. The word fellowship here is a Greek word that a lot of people know. It's koinonia. And the reason I knew that as a little child, because in the church I grew up in, we had a koinonia Sunday school class. Koinonia Sunday school class. I still remember people who were in that, adults that were in that class. And I... Became to understand what the word meant, and I'm still trying to understand and live out what the word means. It it, it means a sharing in something, a partnership. Uh, It it refers primarily to participation in something rather than association. See the difference? Participation, association. Association can be very passive, but participation is very active. This word has to do with sharing your entire life with others, not just talking with Christians about the weather, about sports, about family. Why? Because we can do that with unbelievers, right? And there's nothing wrong with talking about those things. But the, the fellowship and the sharing of our life together has to go way deeper than just talking about those things. An example of true biblical fellowship is illustrated. Look at verses 44 and 45. Aha, we got past verse 42. We're going to come back, don't worry. All right. Verse 44 and 45, it says, And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Everybody just got uncomfortable in the room. Let's be honest. When we think about that, it makes us a little bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? If that's what the natural church does, if that's a natural thing for the church to do, you know, I've got this signed football by Tom Landry, you know I had one? Yeah. See? All right. I don't know if I'm going to share it with you. It's pretty special. And Tony Dungy and Mike Singletary, I like those things. I don't know if I want to share that. I don't know how it would help you in your walk with Christ. You could probably sell it, right, and make some money. But we start getting on some of these things. But whoa, I don't know about that one. But that was an example of what it means. to. They had fellowship. The word common in verse 44, look at that. It comes from the same Greek word as koinonia, a fellowship. Uh, these believers were devoted to the spiritual and physical well-being of each other. Uh, notice what they did in verse 45 again. They, they began selling their property. What? And possessions, yes. Sharing it with all as he went ahead need. They saw a need and they did whatever it took to meet the need. Both of these words, fellowship in common, had the idea of being extremely generous. We actually get the word coin from koinonia. We don't. A lot of people get rid of coins nowadays where we throw them in a bucket or whatever, but it's a really good word, coin. They're just sharing in something, and this is, this is the, the idea. But it's a word of generosity. Super generosity. Now notice the middle part of the verse, again in verse 46. And breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together. Now this is referring to common meals. Yet we know from 1 Corinthians 11, the common meal, which was in some ways called the agape feast when the believers got together, was followed by the Lord's Supper. So these believers were getting together for a common meal Followed by remembering the Lord in the Lord's Supper, but the fact that they were eating together would strengthen their fellowship. Think about when you eat with people; you have people into your house, and you eat and you start talking. You just begin to open up, and this is common in all cultures in our world. When you eat together, you're inviting someone into your life, and, and, and as they reciprocate, they're inviting you into your life, and you begin to have true fellowship. You get to know each other over a meal. In order to truly know the needs of brothers and sisters in Christ, brothers and sisters, we've got to spend time together. And I'm not inviting myself over for dinner, alright? But we've got to spend time together, right? And one of the best ways to do that is around meals. I want to encourage us to do that. The natural church does not have closed fists about possessions that God has entrusted them. Let me remind you of this. We own nothing. Do you know that? You and I own Nothing. We're only stewards of what God has entrusted to us. He owns everything, and yet we hold on to things like we are the owners. We're not. We're stewards. And the idea here, the natural thing for the devoted church is not this. It's this. It's this. Extravagant love and willingness to share to anyone who might have need. And let me just say that somebody... Well, this is communism. This isn't communism. They freely gave. And we'll see that when Ananias and Sapphira kicked the bucket later, if you know, um, in, in Acts 3. Because it was yours to give, this land they sold. We'll see. It was yours to give. You didn't have to give the money that you sold the land for. It's free. They could freely give. But it was so much in their heart. It was a natural thing to do. They saw they had need. You had chickens, right? So you gave eggs. Because you, you knew the McKinsey family needed eggs, Right? It was freely gave, because there was a need. Now, we could probably buy eggs too, Danny, but uh, we liked your eggs better. Um, but that, that was the idea, was it freely gave to each other. These people were devoted to one another. Paul expresses this in his letter to the church at Rome. Look at Romans 12.10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor. The fellowship spoken of in the New Testament is, di- is identified by love that gives preference to one another. Who's most important in the room? the other person. Do nothing from selfishness or conceit. but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. You don't merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. This is the idea. This is the heart, the natural thing for the natural church. That's not the only aspect of biblical fellowship, but it's the heart of it, love. So here's a question for us. How devoted are we to fellowship? To true biblical fellowship. Are we giving pre- preference to others in honor? Are they more important than we are? We, we have to think that. And you say, well, no, nobody's really more important than another person. Yes, we all create an image of God, but we have to think the other person is. That's what the Scripture calls us to do. Do we have open hands, or do we have closed fists? Well, not only is the natural church continually devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, but they're also to devote themselves to the breaking of bread. Look at verse 42 again. I told you we'd come back. All right? to the breaking of bread they were continuing to devote themselves to the breaking of bread what is the breaking of bread this is speaking of the Lord's Supper or communion Uh, we also see this in verse 46 uh, day by day continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house the Lord's Supper was an important part of the natural church they were devoted to it why? well to answer that question why were they devoted to it we must answer this other question first what is the focus of the Lord's Supper? what is the lord's supper all about and paul helps us with this greatly in 1st corinthians chapter 11 as he's explaining the lord's supper he's actually admonishing and rebuking the church at corinth for the way that they were taking the lord's supper but he says this in 1st corinthians 11:26 for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes the lord's supper focuses on the cross and along with that, we're on the back side of the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection. Right? All that goes there. But the cross and all that accomplished, it focuses on the gospel. That's what the Lord's Supper makes us do. It makes us focus on the gospel. That Although we are dead in our sin and trespasses, God raises us up together with Christ and seated us in heavenly places. It's by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God so that no one can boast. The Gospel, God takes people who are dead, people who are His enemies. He raises them to new life through faith in Jesus Christ and makes them His friends and His sons and daughters. The Gospel and it happened because of the cross. So the reason they were devoted to the Lord's Supper is because it reminded them of the Gospel. It reminded them of the cross. Uh, Josh just read this morning right, that, that Paul would have n- no nothing but Christ crucified. That's what he came to preach. And that's what the Lord's Supper does us. The natural church is devoted to the Lord's Supper. That is why we're devoted to the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper. Actually, we're going to celebrate that next week here at Grace. We're devoted to the Lord's Supper because we're devoting to proclaim the gospel until the Lord returns. Well, not only is the natural church continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, but the, the natural church is also continually devoting themselves to prayer. Look again at verse 42, that that they were devoting themselves, continuing to devote themselves to prayer. In the Greek, there is a definite article before the word prayer, and the word is plural. Uh, So it literally literally could mean, or read, they were continuing to devote themselves to the prayers. Well, to what is this referring? What specific prayers, plural, were they devoting themselves to? And we must remember that these were Jewish Christians. And Jews had come to trust in Jesus as their Messiah. It just happened, 3,000 of them now. 3,120 if you're going to be exact, right? Maybe a little bit more, but a wrap about that, right? Um, and even though they were Christians, they still went to worship God in the temple. And we can see that in verse 46. They were going to the temple. Day by day, continually with one mind in the temple. The times for prayer in the temple for Jewish people were 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. So the prayers mentioned here are the prayers of getting together with other believers to pray. They went to the temple, actually, and they got together and they prayed together as Christians during this time that they had done their whole life, but now their prayer meant way more. Because they now they knew Messiah they had been waiting for. They knew Jesus. These believers in Acts 2 were devoted to corporate prayer. Yes, they were devoted to individual prayer. I guarantee you that. But they were devoted to Corporate prayer. Getting together with other believers to pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who sent Jesus to die for them. How about us? Are we devoted to the corporate prayer of the church? When believers of this local church get together to pray, are we devoting ourselves to be there to pray with them? Or be in small groups, whether it's us as a body? Or are we doing that together? This is the natural thing that the natural church does It's natural for those who have been indwelt by the spirit of God or God the holy spirit more exact to pray to God together isn't it It's a natural thing It's nothing abnormal It's natural Well we've seen two characteristics of the church the natural church is made up of people who are born again and they're devoted let us now consider the third characteristic here in our passage of the natural church. The natural church is made up of people who, are, who worship. Look at verse 43 with me. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place to the apostles. Now notice that phrase, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. When God's people are devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of prayer, bread and prayer, then a sense of awe will result in that devotion, from that devotion. In other words, it, would take, it will make you want to worship our great God. Because you do those things and you get to knowing better. And the natural thing is that you would be in awe of this wonderful God who's taken these believers, now Jews, yes, but they were from all different places, who spoke different languages as we saw in Acts 2 earlier. Spoke different languages and brought them together in a unified way. That can only be explained by God. They started having fellowship with people they used to not like. They started giving up their possessions. Are you kidding me? They had to be in a sense of awe because they got to know the real God of the universe. We also see this worship in verses 46 and 47. It says, says, with gladness of heart, gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God. The natural response for one who is born again is worship. This worship is a way of life, uh, which Paul speaks of in Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable God, which is your spiritual service of worship. As we present our lives to God, everything we do can be an act of worship. Every single thing we, we do can be an act of worship. Then, when the natural church assembles, all these people who have been worshiping the Lord individually as we come together we get to worship him together and there's something special about that isn't it as you see other people worshiping god you you're drawn into that and sometimes we've had a tough tough week we haven't worshiped god with our week right you ever had one of those weeks if you're not nodding your head you're lying okay you're starting the week off in a bad way i'm kidding but we do and we need we need other believers to come around and help lift our eyes to him and to worship him And thank Him for the gospel that gives us grace in the midst of our failures. That's the God that we worship. That's where we come together. It's a natural thing. And it's so encouraging for me to come here. I love Grace Bible Church. You all know that. I love this church. I do. I love this church. And what is the church? It's people who are born again. Who have been changed by the Lord Jesus Christ. I love this church. And I love coming together and, and worshiping with you all through music, through prayer, through preaching of the Word, through fellowship, all those things. I love that. And I hope you do too. And I hope this is the most, the most important hour of your week. You think, man, this is the best hour of my week. I get to come together with other believers. We pray at our breakfast table every Sunday morning that God would help us worship with other believers today. My prayer is that's one of the things that we value in our lives. It's natural, right? When the Holy Spirit indwells you, you want to worship. Yeah. Well, we've seen three characteristics of the natural church. The natural church is made up of people who are born again, devoted, and worship. Now let's look at the fourth characteristic in this passage about the natural church. The natural church is made up of people who witness. Look at verse 47. In the beginning, Praising God, and it says, "...and having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day, those who were being saved. It says they had favor with all the people. I wonder why. I wonder why they had favor with the people. Because God had transformed their lives. From being selfish to selfless, not perfectly, to thinking about others' people before themselves, to all of a sudden wanting to be together, to wanting to be a better husband, to striving to be a better wife, to striving to honor God in their businesses and their work. They were gaining favor with all the people. They looked, oh my goodness, what happened to these people? I love to say this. Here's what happened. Something happened in their lives that only being explained by God. It wasn't a seven-step program. It wasn't they went to school and got this. They were transformed from the inside out and people took notice. It says they had favor with these people. Amazing. As a natural church who were born again as they were devoted to the apostles teaching and fellowship and breaking bread and prayer and worship God they got out into the community the Lord used their changed lives to draw others to himself they were witnesses of the grace of God as seen in the gospel of Jesus the fact that God wants to use our changed lives exemplified through our love for him and each other to draw other people to himself is taught throughout the New Testament Jesus spoke about this in Matthew 5.16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they say may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This will be a natural thing that happens. We'll get favor. People will want to glorify God. You see that in Daniel. As Nebuchadnezzar looks at Daniel and all of a sudden it's your God, your God. And then at the end of this chapter as Nebuchadnezzar is awoken and brought back in a sense from the dead from crawling around eating grass, he says, my God. He's changed, But Daniel's life was part of the, way, the thing that God used to bring about change in his life. It's so encouraging to witness this here at Grace. This is what the natural church does. Their lives are so changed that they witness in word and in deed. And God uses that to draw people to himself. And we've seen that happen here at Grace. And I'm so thankful for that. How encouraging is that? It's natural. Well, the characteristics of the natural church is it's made up of people who are born again, people who are devoted, people who worship, and people who witness. And when these characteristics are present, the natural church naturally produces supernatural results. There's nothing boring about the natural church because it produces supernatural results by the grace of God. When these characteristics are, are present, amazing things start happening. The results of glorifying God and seeing others' lives changed by His amazing, transforming grace. This begins to happen as the church just naturally is the church. See, there's nothing special about this church in Acts. If you all wish we were like the church in Acts chapter 2, well, that church later on in the next chapter is going to have some problems, right? They still had problems. But this is The norm. This wasn't the exciting, extravagant, radical, all this kind of church. That's just the norm. It's not even radical in, in, in the eyes of God. And it's radical compared to our society, yes, but not in the eyes of God. This is what was meant to happen. The natural church, when it becomes the natural church and acts like the natural church, then is the most extravagant, exciting, radical, special, extraordinary thing on earth. Because It's natural. Let me ask the question, are you a part of his church? Are you a part of the church? What do I mean the church? People who follow the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. That's what the church is. It's not a building. Well, if not, let me encourage you to understand something. That the God of all the earth created everything. And therefore, since he created everything, he deserves to be worshipped, to be magnified. And you either worship Him or you worship yourselves. There's no other alternatives. You worship God or you worship yourself. He demands that we worship Him because He knows it's the best thing for us. Yet the Bible says this about man, about us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He calls us to glorify Him. We don't do it. We glorify ourselves instead. Ah, oh, not me. Yeah, you and me. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is what? Death, eternal separation from God forever. Is that good news? It's terrible news because we've all sinned and we glorify ourselves and we don't glorify God. That's awful news. Welcome to Grace Bible Church. But here's the good news and this is why it's called the Gospel. God sent Jesus, the perfect God-man who lived the perfect life, who always glorified God. He knew no sin. He sent Him to become sin on our behalf. That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He transfers His righteousness to our account. Isn't that amazing? And, and our sin gets transferred in a sense to His account. And He sees the righteousness of God. He sees us as the righteousness of God in Christ as He looks at us. Amazing. And the Bible says we've got to respond to that amazing gift that He offers. And he uses the words repentance and faith. He, he, he's talking about quit trusting yourself. Turn from trusting yourself and place your faith and trust in what Christ has done for you on the cross to save you from the penalty and the power and ultimately the presence of your very sin. That's the gospel. Is that good news? You bet it is. That's something to get excited about. That's amazing that he would do that for us. And he did. And my prayer is you'll respond and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let me ask this other question. Are you committed to being part of a local church that's committed to the natural church? Just being the natural church. Trusting God to produce supernatural results. If not, you need to be. You don't see lone rangers. Christians in the New Testament. Even the lone ranger had Tonto, right? There's no lone rangers. There's no lonesome... I hear people say, I'm just going to be a Christian by myself over here. Well, where do you find that in the Bible? Nowhere. You need to be committed to a local church. And if you're here and this is a church you want to be committed to, we welcome that. See me or Greg or Tyler. If Jared is here, see him. And we'll tell you how you can do that. You commit to this local church and get involved and serve together. And be part of just being the natural church, right? And if you're part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, because you're born again, Then be devoted to the Apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And trust God to produce supernatural results. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for the natural church. And Lord, what makes it so natural is that now you live inside of those who have trusted in Jesus. And the natural things for us to do is to love you and to love others and to be devoted to you and all that you call us to be devoted to. That's the natural thing. Lord, when we don't do those things that's unnatural. We're not created to serve ourselves. We're not created to worship ourselves. We're not created to, to, to brag about ourselves. Lord, we're not created to seek after the teaching of this world. We're created to glorify you. Lord, help us do that. And now Lord, as we lift our hearts and our voices to you well, may we respond to the great truth that the God of all the earth and the person of God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.